0: Dear God, you're the lily of the valley to our soul. What a beautiful thing. God, thank you. Thank you for music. Thank you for the gift that uh, taps into our soul. that when uh, It softens our heart. It tills the fallow ground. That bends our, our hearts and our minds towards you. God, as your servants uh, and through the Holy Spirit, may we produce good fruit to a, a world full of weeds and poor, poor soil. God, to a to a lost and shackled world. God, may uh, may we be willing and diligent and to take up this task, this rescue plan that you've put in place. And uh, God, what an honor, what a privilege that you've given us to share Christ, to share His love, to share the only thing that truly is love. The world that so desperately needs it. God, thank you for this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: You may be seated. And again, welcome this morning to Christ Community Church. It is good uh, to see you again. We are in the middle of uh, a series uh, on the life of Joseph, the um, idea of favor, and the idea of famine. Um, we have been singing, if I hope that you noticed, I hope that you were aware of the theme that that runs through, that ran through those songs of us delighting in and longing for and seeking um, God and His presence in our lives. So much so that that our looking forward to being with Him in eternity far outweighs anything that that could come into our lives um, today. We're going to look this morning at... A couple of different men. As I sent an email last week, Um, wanted you to read through Genesis 38 and 39. We are not going to read two entire chapters, or um, we'd be done. Um, Read a little bit this morning. But as we, before we do that, I I want to set the stage because for hundreds of years, people have looked at this section and thought, "Why is 38 even here?" And there's been a lot of people who've said. Because it kind of interrupts Joseph's story, uh, it probably shouldn't be here. People have gone so far as to say, well, it's a later edition. It doesn't really belong. Uh, someone just stuck it in somewhere. Um, I think there's lots of good reasons why it is here, and I want to kind of touch on that briefly to make sure that we understand that, that God's Word is whole and complete, and even if things look out of place, uh, they're not out of place. Um, First of all, chapter 38 is all about Joseph's brother, Judah. It's not about Joseph at all. Um, But Judah is, and his story is, extremely important to God's big picture of redemption in the Bible. And so if we don't get what's going on in Judah's life, then we get over later on, even in Joseph's story, and then much later on as we talk about David and ultimately Christ, and we go... There's something missing. And so what happens in chapter 38 is very pivotal to what happens in the rest of God's dealing with mankind. Um, Second, as as Moses is is writing, uh, he chose to put the Judah story here because there is a clear and... I don't know what else to say. Clear contrast between Judah and Joseph. He put it here so that we could see this this man, Judah, and then in the next chapter see Joseph and go, wow, they're different. And yet they're different along the same categories. There are are five characteristics we're going to look at where they are completely opposite of one another. The language and the wording of the text brings that out. Third, this is probably the best place to insert this story so as not to really break up the Joseph narrative. right Before the Joseph story really gets started, which gets started in Egypt, this is the best place to insert Judah and his 20 plus years, which chapter 38 covers. And then we're going to cover 20 plus years of Joseph's life. And then finally, it helps us to understand, as I briefly mentioned, Judah's going to do some stuff that later on that we would think, that doesn't look like the same guy that we met in chapter 37 and 38. How'd that happen? And the end of chapter 38 will help us to see how that happens, how He changes. So I'm going to read the beginning and the end of 38 and the beginning and the end of 39 and kind of bookend um, what we're talking about and then we'll, we'll dive in to the text. Chapter 38 says, And it came about at that time that Judah departed from his brothers and visited a certain Adulamite whose name was Hira, Judah saw there a daughter of of the Canaanites, whose name was Shua, and he took her and went into her. And at the end of chapter 38, we read these words. It came about at that time she was giving birth, and behold, there were twins in her womb. Moreover, it took place while she was giving birth, one put out a hand, and the midwife took, took and tied a scarlet thread on his hand, saying, This one came out first. But it came about as he drew back his hand that behold, his brother came out and she said, What a breach you have made for yourself. So he was named Perez. Afterward, his brother came out who had the scarlet thread on his hand and he was named Zerah. And then in 39, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt and Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. And then we read in verse 20, of chapter 39 so joseph's master took him and put him into the jail the place where the king's prisoners were confined and he was there in jail let's pray father as we look at your word this morning i pray that you would open our eyes and our hearts and ultimately our wills that we might be changed we ask these things in christ's name amen Um, a tale of two men Next week we're going to look at a tale of two women. That doesn't mean that this is just for the guys and next week is just for the gals. Uh, there's things that all of us can learn from those, but again, the text very clearly distinguishes between Judah and Joseph and between two ladies that we'll look at next week. So first I want to highlight just five clear differences, contrast between these two guys, and then we'll look at some application for us in our lives. Uh, The first one, and here's where I think the text clearly says these are supposed to be read together. We have these arbitrary chapter divisions that didn't exist a long time ago. Um, And so oftentimes authors would use certain words to highlight, oh, what happens here is the same thing that happens here. Or what happens here is different than what happens here. And so when one, it says, and Judah departed at that time, uh, that word departed really means went down the Hebrew word that means went down. then beginning in 39, it says, Now Joseph had been taken down. In English, those are two different words, went and taken, but in Hebrew, it's the same word with just a different stem on the end. Uh, it's the same word at the beginning of these two sections. And so we should recognize, oh, what happens to Judah is similar to what's happening to Joseph. And what happens is, Judah chooses to separate himself from his family. If you remember, Judah's the one that says, let's sell him in 37. Then they go back home thinking everything's going to be okay and dad is crushed and he's heartbroken and they can't comfort him. And the text doesn't say why, but for some reason Judah separates from his brothers. He goes somewhere else. Strife, guilt, we don't know. text doesn't say. But he removes himself from... The covenant family. The family that God says, Abraham, through your descendants, I'm going to bless the world. And he removes himself from them and begins to hang out with Canaanites. Joseph, on the other hand, didn't separate himself, he was separated from his family. He was removed from his family. Not by anything he did, not by any choice he made, but because of his brother's actions. But what we find out in 39 verse 2, says the Lord was with Joseph. See, up until this point in time, if we look at Jacob's life, Jacob thought, as we looked at about a year ago, that God kind of hung out in the promised land. And when Jacob went back to Padanaram, he thought, well, I'll come back one day, God, <laughs> but I'm on my own. What we learn is, is that God is not limited by physical boundaries. God is not limited by land. God is not limited by these four walls. We we gather together on purpose. We gather together to experience God's presence with us as a body. But when we leave these doors, we should never think, oh, I've, I've left the safety of God. Because we know that His Holy Spirit is ever with us, ever present. So the first... Distinguishing mark is Judah chose to separate himself from the covenant family. Joseph was separated and yet God was still with him. The second contrast is over the word influence. Judah was influenced by the Canaanite culture. We read in verse 2, Judah saw a daughter of the Canaanites. Kind of reminds me of Samson. You remember that story? Samson was always looking for the cute girl and that's what he wanted. Well, Judah saw a cute girl and that's what he wanted. It didn't matter that she was a Canaanite, and and he knew the stories. He knew that Abraham told his servant, do not take a wife for Isaac from among the Canaanites. Don't do it. No matter if you're successful or not, going back to my family, if you're not successful, do not take a wife from the Canaanites. Isaac said the same thing to his wife about Jacob. We don't want him taking a wife from the Canaanites. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. And Esau, to kind of get back at his parents for what happened to him, did it. Said, I'm going to get back. I'm going to marry a daughter from the land. And so Judah was influenced by his eyes, what he saw. He saw it. He wanted it. It's what he got. And then he had kids. And when they grew up, he got a wife for his son from the Canaanites. He was influenced. Joseph, on the other hand, all by himself, no one to keep him accountable, no one to watch over him, influenced those around him. The text says in verse 3 of 39, Now his master saw the Lord was with him and how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. It wasn't just that Joseph was really good at his job and the guy said, Oh, he's really good at his job. I wonder why. Right? Potiphar knew it was the Lord. How did he know that? Well, Joseph had to have been talking. Why are you good at what you do? Well, let me tell you, I've got this God who prospers me and who blesses me. There was evidence and there was testimony, not only in the life that he lived, but by the words that he said. Potiphar wouldn't have known it was the Lord unless Joseph had spoken up. The word Lord there is Yahweh. Joseph was talking about the covenant God. He had an influence on other people by his presence and by his allowing God to be and knowing God and appreciating and and trusting that God was present with him. Are we like that? Do we we walk into a room and people go, God's with that person? Or maybe they just go, wow, that, that person seems to work hard, be diligent, be honest. And if we're asked, do we give God credit or do we give ourselves credit? Or do we give our parents credit? Do we give a good work ethic credit? Or do we give something else credit besides God? Are you influenced or are you an influencer? The third contrasting characteristic is responsibility. Judah had a son. Got a wife for a son. Oh, that's good. But... The son was a lousy character and God took his life. He was evil. God killed him. In that culture, it was the younger brother's responsibility to then marry the widow and the first child would technically belong to the older brother so that, so that the firstborn's name could be passed down. It's the way it worked. Well, the younger brother didn't like that. He, he liked all the idea of getting a wife but he didn't like any of the idea of raising up a son for his older brother, and so he refused to do that. And God took his life. And then Judah said, hmm, i have got three sons, two down, one to go. Um, hey, Tamar, tell you what, why don't you go back and live with your parents, and when my youngest son grows up, you can have him as a husband. And see, that's not the way it's supposed to go. See, she had married into a family and it was that family's responsibility to take care of her as long as there was a male still living. Judah was responsible for her until that youngest son grew up to marry. She was his responsibility, not her old family. All right, it's a different situation in the, in the book of Ruth. We read that, that Naomi urged Ruth to go back to her family because there were no males left. Her husband died and both of her sons were dead. There was no male to take care of her. And so she urged Ruth to go back. Different situation. Here, there's still a guy to take care of her. And Judah said, I don't want that responsibility. I'm going to send her back. All along, he never was intending to give his youngest son to her because he was afraid. The text says, in verse 11, remain a widow in your father's house until my son Sheila grows up. For he thought, I'm afraid that he too may die, like his brothers. So Tamar went and lived in her father's house. He had no intention of giving his youngest son to her. He thought, if he dies, because his wife was already, or I guess at this point in time, already dead, if he dies, what am I going to do? I have no offspring. The lion dies out. I can't afford to lose another son. Why don't you go home? Joseph, on the other hand, being alone and being a slave and not having anybody kind of to watch over him, took responsibility that he was given. Verse 6 of 39, So Potiphar left everything he owned in Joseph's charge. And then when Potiphar's wife felt like she wanted to make advances toward Joseph, he said, Behold, with me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house, and he's put all that he owns in my charge. There is no one greater in this house than I. In other words, I can do anything I want to. He doesn't care what I do. All he cares about is what he eats. He leaves me in charge of everything. I'm responsible for everything here. And he has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? Despite the fact that he could have had anything he wanted, despite the fact that he could have had Potiphar's wife, he said, you know what? I'm responsible for what Potiphar has made me responsible for and I'm not going to cross those lines. I'm going to do what I've been called to do even though I am a slave. And even though... Probably wouldn't get caught. See, Judah wasn't going to keep what belonged to him, and Joseph wasn't going to take what didn't belong to him. The fourth contrast Judah was quick to judge. Judah was quick to judge. Verse 24, And now it was about three months later that Judah was informed, Your daughter-in-law Tamar has played the harlot, and behold, she is with child by harlotry. Then Judah said, Bring her out and let her be burned. He'd gotten rid of her, wasn't going to give his son, finds out now she's pregnant and says, This is wrong. She deserves to die. Maybe he was just now had found a way to ultimately get rid of her. I'm not sure. Uh, Did he ask her side of the story? Did he ask for any facts? Did he ask what was going on? No. Bring her out, let her be burned. Uh, What's funny is, he was guilty of the same crime that she was. He had had relationships with a woman that wasn't his wife. Happened to be her, actually. He didn't know that. Guilty of the same crime, and yet very quick to judge. Hypocritical. Joseph, on the other hand, was judged quickly. Verse 19 of chapter 39, Now when his master heard the words of his wife, which she spoke to him, saying, This is what your slave did to me, his anger burned. So Joseph's master took him and put him in jail, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. Not that he needed to ask Joseph's side of the story, he was a slave. But nonetheless, Joseph was judged quickly. No trial, no no giving his side of the story, just you've been accused, you're guilty, off you go. The fifth contrast is rather interesting because of all that Judah did wrong, in the end of 38, he's rewarded. He's rewarded. We read that, that twins are born. What's interesting, you read through the patriarchal narrative, and there's always that idea of, of twins that comes up rather often, and that the younger supplants the older. And the idea of something red in the process. We think about Esau, we think about Jacob, we think about the color red, we think about the older supplanting, the younger supplanting the older. Zara comes out, his hand comes out, she ties a thread. This is first, so we don't get them confused because they're twins. And then Perez is born first. The younger technically supplants the older. A clear indication if we read through that God's up to something funny here. (laughs) He's rewarded with boys. This lousy, no good character is blessed by children. Two of them. And what's Joseph's? consequence for being faithful? What's Joseph's consequence for taking responsibility? What's Joseph's consequence for getting sold by his brothers but doing all the right things? He's punished. He's put in jail. And we say, that's not a fair story. (laughs) And that's life, isn't it? Except for one thing. We've got to remember that Joseph knows that God is with him at this point and we know that God is with him at this point and should we be surprised that God is up to something that we can't see and then there's one more thing that's going on with Judah which we'll talk about in just a moment but let's jump over to some applications so what? what do we do with that? what do I do with the fact that I've got a scoundrel on one hand and a, a good example on the other should I do anything with that? yeah I think so First, the idea of separation. Number one, don't separate yourself from either fellowship or from the knowledge that God is with you. Don't separate yourself first from fellowship. You need the other people that are in this room. You need other believers to come alongside you and say, how are you doing? You need to be involved in people's lives and ask them, how are you doing? How can I pray for you? If the only fellowship you get with other believers is what happens on Sunday morning, that's not enough. Are you involved in people's lives on a regular basis? Don't separate yourself from fellowship. That's how it's really easy for things of the world to begin to look attractive. No one's coming alongside you and say, hey, how... How are things going? What's pulling at your heart? What are you struggling with? But sometimes we find ourselves alone. Sometimes we find ourselves in not the type of fellowship that we would like or not as enough fellowship as we would wish. And it is at those times when we can't can't look at it and say, oh, well, it's not my fault. I don't have anybody around me to encourage me. Joseph had nobody around to encourage him, and yet, He knew that God was with him and he chose the right path. So at the same time that we can't separate ourselves from fellowship, we have to remember God is with us. His Holy Spirit indwells us as we read in Ephesians this morning. You have the power of the Holy Spirit present in your life to resist temptation and to flee from sin. The second application is be an influencer. Part of that comes from the first one. Right? If, if you know that the Holy Spirit is present with you and you are walking with Him, you will influence other people. There's a story of uh, John Wesley. was a very religious man. In fact, so religious that he got on a boat to go to Georgia to preach to the Indians and he was not even a believer yet, but he was very religious. When he was on that boat, there were some German Moravians on the boat as well, and there was a storm, uh, a violent storm. In fact, the mast of the ship was broken, uh, and he and some of his English buddies were were fearful, and there was wailing and crying, and um, woe is me, and the, the Germans were very happy and still singing, and afterward he said, were you not afraid? We're not afraid to die. And they explained to him their faith in Christ, and their trust in Christ, and... And he came back to England later and realized, I don't don't know God. (laughs) I've been religious. I've been raised in the church. I've gone as a missionary. I, I don't know God. See, because the Holy Spirit dwelt in them, because they were secure in their relationship with Christ, they had an influence on John Wesley. Just their very presence on that ship was a calming effect on others. Are we like that? Do we influence or are we easily influenced? Does does the culture continue to pull at us and pull at us and pull at us and get us places where we go, how did I end up here? Why am I angry? Why am I sad? Why am I depressed? Why am I frustrated? Or are we influencing other people? Are we helping them to see God clearer, more fully? That only happens with a deep and abiding relationship with Christ. Third, are you taking responsibility for what God has put in your care? All of us have some sphere of influence. All of us have some responsibility. From the youngest of you, who may your responsibility may be emptying the dishwasher or making your bed or folding your clothes, or sweeping the floor, or being polite to your brothers and sisters? Are you taking responsibility for where God has placed you? To those of us who have been given the responsibility of being a husband, or a wife, or a parent, or a worker, do you you slack off at work when you should be working hard? Do you give your boss all of your time that you're supposed to give him? Are you hoping that the church will will take care of your kids' spiritual needs? Are you hoping that your spouse will get the encouragement and the nurture they need from their friends? Are we taking responsibility for what God has put in our care? Ultimately, are we taking responsibility for our own heart? that probably is more important than anything else. Are you guarding your heart? And do you understand what sin really is? It's interesting that Joseph says, How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? Why did he not say Potiphar there? Wouldn't he be sinning against Potiphar? And David, in Psalm 51, when he's confessing his sin, David says, against you and you only, God, have I sinned. Well, now wait a minute. (laughs) He stole Uriah's wife and then had him killed. Didn't he sin against Uriah? Didn't he sin against Bathsheba? Didn't he sin against his own wife? And he says, against you and you only. Have I sinned? Do we understand who our sin affects most? Part of us taking responsibility for our actions is spending time dwelling on and meditating on the fact that our sin, as we talked about last week, ultimately sent Christ to the cross. Yeah, our sin has consequences. We hurt people all the time by our sin. But there is no greater consequence for your sin than the death of the Son of God. And until we realize that, until we realize the magnitude of our sin, I don't think we will change. Because it's just somebody else. It's just that person. And they've sinned against me too, so, you know, it'll all balance out. But until we dwell on and Meditate on and let it sink in that I have sinned against God. I don't think we will change. Finally, look at chapter 38, verse 26. They bring out Tamar. They're going to burn her. And she says, "Uh, before you do that, the guy whose fault this is, this is his stuff. This is his staff and this is his ring. Just just so you know. Well, it turns out that's Judah's stuff. (laughs) And he makes this interesting statement. He says in verse 26, Judah recognized them and said, she is more righteous than I. Literally that says, she is righteous, I am not. She's righteous, and I am not. There's a confession there that's the beginning, I believe, of a change in Judah's life. Because as we read through the rest of the Joseph narrative, Judah begins to act differently. He recognizes what he's done and what's happened. And I believe even though the text doesn't clearly spell it out, Judah has changed. We read in in chapter 43, in verse 9, Judah says to his father, there's there's an issue later on about Benjamin, the other son of Rachel. Joseph was Rachel's son. Uh, Isaac thinks he's dead. I'm sorry, Jacob thinks he's dead. He has one more son by Rachel, Benjamin. He didn't want to send him to Egypt to get more grain. And Judah says, I myself will be surety for him. You may hold me responsible for him. I'll take responsibility now for something that really isn't my responsibility. He's your son, but I'll watch out for him and you can hold me responsible. And then in chapter 44, they've encountered Joseph in Egypt. When Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, he was still there. They fell to the ground before him. Joseph's playing a trick on him. He's trying to see if they've changed. And he hides his silver cup in Benjamin's bag and they realize Benjamin's got it. And so he says, I'm going to keep him. Y'all can go back, but he's going to stay a prisoner. And Judah knows what this is going to do to his father. Earlier he didn't care. I don't care what happens to dad. We're going to get rid of Joseph When Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, he was still there, and they fell to the ground before him. Joseph said to them, What is this deed you have done? Do you not know that such a man as I can indeed practice divination? So Judah said, What can we say to my Lord? What can we speak? How can we justify ourselves? No excuses. No trying to get out of it. God has found out the iniquity of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's slaves, both we and the one in whose possession the cup has been found. But he said, far be it for me to do this. The man in whose possession the cup has been found, he shall be my slave. But as for you, go up in peace to your father. Joseph's still trying to see if they're really going to own up to what's going on. And of all the brothers, Judah approached him and said, O my Lord, may your servant please speak a word in my Lord's ears, Do not be angry with your servant, for you are equal to Pharaoh. My Lord asked his servant, saying, Have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, We have an old father, a little child of his old age. Now his brother is dead, so he alone is left of his mother, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, Bring him down to me, that I may set my eyes on him. But we said to my Lord, The lad cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die." You said to your servants, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you will not see my face again. Thus it came about when we went up to your servant, my father. We told him the words of my Lord. Our father said, go back, buy us a little food. But we said, we cannot go down if our youngest brother is not with us. Your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons and the one went out for me. And I said, surely he is torn in pieces and I have not seen him since. If you take this one also from me and harm befalls him, you will bring my gray hair down to Sheol in sorrow. Now therefore, when I come to your servant, my father and the lad is not with us, since his life is bound up in the lad's life, when he sees that the lad is not with him, he will die. Thus your servants will bring the gray hair of your servant, our father, down to Sheol in sorrow. He understands what's going to happen to his father if Benjamin doesn't come back. He gets it now. He gets the the grief that he will cause. Now therefore, please let your servant remain instead as a slave to my Lord. Let me be the substitute for him. Let me be the one who takes his place. And Judah becomes the one through the son Perez where The greatest king of all time, David, was born, and through whom that line led ultimately to our Lord and Savior, who took someone else's place, who took your place, and who took my place. That repentance is applicable to all of us. We may be in some place this morning where we shouldn't be, some actions, some attitudes, some thoughts that we shouldn't be having or shouldn't be displaying. And you, like Judah, no matter how much of a scoundrel you may be in someone else's eyes or your own eyes, have an opportunity to repent. And his fortune and his destiny was changed. We may not be able to change certain consequences, but there's a lot of things that we can change. We can begin today to be a different person are coming to God and say what I am about is unrighteousness will you through your holy spirit change me if we learn nothing else from these two men one a scoundrel and one righteous kind of all the way along we should learn that our future doesn't have to be determined by our past. Because we'll see that, that Jacob on his deathbed blessed Judah and said, the scepter will never depart from your line. He was not the firstborn. He was not the favorite son. And yet he was the one that led the nation, his family, his line. King after king after king after king followed the line of Judah, ultimately leading to our Savior Christ. Your past does not have to affect your future. And What about Joseph? Well, his children didn't make the same decisions he did. Joseph was blessed with two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim, both of which were wiped out, carted off by the Assyrians, scattered, dispersed, the lost tribes. Are we willing to repent? Are we willing to turn to God and allow Him to change us? Let's pray together. Father, thank You for this morning. Thank You for Your grace. And Father, we trust in You and You alone to change us. God, whatever happens after we walk out these doors, please, Father, through Your Spirit, don't let us depend upon ourselves to make changes. For each of us here, God, encourage us through Your Spirit to depend upon You. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing together?